0: welcome to the first baptist church keller sermon podcast each week we make available sermons from pastor keith and our staff on our website fbckeller.org and on itunes search for fbc keller media in the itunes store and now here's our pastor keith sanders well today is the first sunday november time change sunday And in the spirit of transition, we begin a new series this morning on the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, let's open them now to the very first chapter, the very first verse of the Gospel of Luke. Many years ago when I surrendered to the ministry, I promised the Lord if He would give me the time and the lifespan that I would preach through every verse of the New Testament. And I am to do that, but I've never preached through Luke. And so I'm looking forward. I've preached sermons from Luke, but never through verse by verse Luke. And so I'm excited. I hope you all were encouraged by our study of the book of Ephesians. I know that I was. I'm always blessed and encouraged by doing that study. Um, but beginning today, let's start something new. Gospel of Luke chapter one. I'm gonna read the first four verses, which is the introduction or the prologue to the gospel. It says this, in as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. I want to say up front what I typically say when we begin a new study or a new book or a new biographical series. The Bible is about God, it is His story. And though this particular book bears the name of the man Luke, the author is simply the means through which God communicates His message to His people. And yet those men who penned the words of the Bible were more than robotic instruments. They were real life flesh and blood individuals. God in His providence used their unique personalities, their unique situations in life, their unique writing styles in His providence to communicate His inerrant word to His people. So such is the case with the Gospel of Luke. So this morning before we get into the real meat of the text over the coming weeks, let's just get a brief overview of the Gospel of Luke. Some of you may be wondering why we even need four different accounts of the same biblical truth. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, each of the four gospels tells the same basic truth from a different perspective and with different emphasis. Every day when I leave work here and head home, I have to cross the intersection at 1709 and 377. And before they Fixed the traffic signal there in the turn lanes. It was uh, a dangerous matter to get through that intersection. It still can be today. And at least once or twice a week there will be a fender bender there. And so uh, people will get out and the police will be summoned And they begin to take notes and hear from witnesses. Now you could station every day four individuals at the four corners there. And they would give testimony. But each of them would see the same truth from different perspectives. Such is the case with the four Gospels. Each of them is telling the story from a unique perspective. Matthew, for example, in his Gospel is writing from a strictly Jewish point of view. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, the Scripture says, of the tribe of of Levi. He was someone who knew the Old Testament prophecies. And so he presents Jesus as the fulfillment of all Messianic prophecy. So naturally, he begins the story of Jesus, tracing his genealogy all the way back to the father of the Hebrew nation, Abraham. Mark, on the other hand, in his Gospel, does not deal with genealogies at all. He emphasizes the work of Jesus and his perfect obedience as the servant to the Father. We spent about two and a half years here, just a few years ago, preaching through John, so I hope you remember John's emphasis was on the divinity of Jesus. He is presenting Jesus as God. He does so in his prologue when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John declares at the end of his gospel that he was writing this as an evangelistic tract. He wanted people to read it and then to be saved. That brings us to Dr. Luke. Luke brings his perspective on the humanity of Jesus. He is a Gentile, writing to a Gentile, and he begins Christ's genealogy not with Abraham, but he backs up all the way to Adam, the father of all mankind. And Luke makes it clear from that point that the gospel is not just a Jewish gospel. It is good news for all sorts of people. Well, what do we know about this gospel? Well, if you have your outline, three things we want to look at this morning. First is the author, the author. Since the earliest days of the church, there has been near universal acceptance as Luke, as the author of this gospel, even though he never references his own name, I think out of humility. We know that Luke was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul because Paul references Luke by name in three of his epistles. Luke often uses the plural possessive pronoun of us and, and, and we and our to describe the travel of the missionaries in the book of Acts. So he was not just writing about those historical accounts, he was involved personally in them. He uses that pronoun us here in verse 1 of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote, of course, in two volumes. His first volume, the Gospel of Luke, traces from the conception of the Lord Jesus all the way through his death, burial, and resurrection, and ultimately his ascension back into heaven. The second volume, the book of Acts, picks up at the Ascension and goes all the way through to Paul's imprisonment in Rome. The Gospel of Luke is written specifically to one person, a man by the name of Theophilus. That is a Greek or a Gentile name, and, and so Luke is writing from that perspective into that kind of person. Now, we know with great certainty that Luke certainly must have been well-educated. Paul refers to him in the book of Colossians as the beloved physician. He writes specifically these first four verses in a very highly defined and refined Greek grammatical style that only the highly educated could read and write. Not being one of the apostles himself, not having firsthand memories of the Lord's miracles and teachings, he was a meticulous researcher and historian. And we have Luke to thank, that we have a number of the miracles and teachings of Jesus that appear in none of the other three Gospels. Now, the question is, why did God inspire Luke to write the story of Jesus? Well, Luke answers that question in verse 1. Let's look at it. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, many others have undertaken to write. Now, he's not referring here, we take it, to uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, He's talking about other Christians who at various times in the first century wrote down some memories, maybe a fragment, a story they were present for, a parable they were present for, maybe a miracle they observed with their own eyes. But these fragments had never been compiled into a complete exhaustive biography of the Lord Jesus. And so that's what Luke is wanting to do. He's going to take all of these memories from these eyewitnesses, many of whom are still alive, and compile them and verify them as any good researcher would do. He says, of all of the things Jesus accomplished. Now, Jesus accomplished a lot of things in this life, right? He spoke truth to authority. He died for the sins of people who were sinners, He did great miracles. He even raised the dead. But do you agree with me that the ultimate thing that Jesus accomplished was our salvation? That's why he came, to live a perfect life so that he could die a perfect death for our sins. This means, uh, excuse me, the means that he accomplished this is his sinless life, literal death, glorious resurrection. So Luke gives great attention to each of those three elements, as we'll notice as we go through this book. How did he accomplish this? How did Luke put all this together? Well, as any good researcher and historian, he went to the source materials. If you remember your college days you had to do a major research paper. You were told to go to the sources, right? You were to cite your sources, but there are differing values assigned to different kinds of sources. The same is true in a court of law. Remember Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 said to His disciples, you shall be my witnesses." In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the other most parts of the world. But there are different kinds of witnesses with different values, right? For example, sometimes in a, a trial that's particularly difficult either the prosecuting attorney or the defense attorney will call an expert witness. And they'll say, given the evidence, knowing you weren't there, but giving your expertise in this area, who do you think did it? Well, that, that's admissible in court of law, an expert witness. Well, you you might have the defense attorney then call a character witness and say, in your opinion, you've known this defendant for 30 years. Is he capable of this crime? Well, that's admissible in the court of law too. But the kind of witness that trumps all other witnesses is what kind of witness? An eyewitness, one, one that was there, one that saw it. And so those are the sources that Luke went to. He went to these eyewitnesses. And he calls them the servants of the word. These men who were there with Jesus, the apostles and others who are now busy, even years later at the time of this writing, still preaching the gospel, still going on missionary journeys. Now, I don't have to tell you, but there have been many attacks on the veracity of the claims of the Bible over the last 2,000 years. In every generation, there's a new, fresh onslaught and attack upon whether or not the Bible is true. And one of the heresies that we often hear repeated is this, the resurrection story was simply an invention of Jesus' disciples. That somehow they stole his body and began to spread the lie that he was alive. Jesus was simply a great teacher, a misunderstood political revolutionary, at best a martyr. But what those critics always fail to explain away is why those disciples would be willing to die for what they knew to be a lie and a hoax. Because as far as we know, every one of the apostles except John died a very violent, painful death for preaching the gospel. And John died in isolation On the Isle of Patmos? The answer is this the resurrection is not a hoax because the scripture is true and trustworthy. It really happened, and these men were willing to die because of it. And Luke understood, evidently, the importance of what he was undertaking to do, so he investigated everything carefully, he says, from the very beginning. And by the way, there may be some in this room here who are doubting the veracity of the Bible. Maybe you don't believe in the literal creation of the world as the book of Genesis puts it forth. Or the miracles, the parting of the Red Sea or Jesus raising the dead. You certainly would not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I invite you to bring your doubts to the Bible. Do the research. Ask your questions. Do hearty investigation. The Bible has stood up against thousands of years of scrutiny and investigation, and it can stand your criticism. But be warned, many a critic has become a Christian in the process. Charles Spurgeon was asked in his day how Christians should defend the Bible from its critics. Spurgeon said, you defend the Bible the same way you defend a caged lion. You unlock the door and get out of the way. Now, Luke declares here that he was writing this biography in consecutive order. Now Certainly, the action moves from the conception through the ascension. But within that, sometimes the progression is thematic rather than strictly chronological. Really, the Greek phrase rendered here in the New American Standard consecutive is, is better translated systematic or logical. Several years ago, um, Jack Gatewood gave to all of our adult Sunday school teachers a copy of Wayne Grudem's wonderful text, This Thick, His Systematic Theology. What a systematic theology text is, is a compilation of all Christian doctrines put together in a logical, orderly fashion, so you can easily reference those. Well, it should not surprise us. After all, Luke is a doctor. We want our doctor to be meticulous and orderly, don't we? And so he takes his training as a physician and he applies it to his research and to his compilation of this gospel. And he says the result was that he gave to Theopolis the exact truth. Theopolis had heard stories. He had heard anecdotes. He probably had read some fragments about the life of Jesus. But he says, I want you to have the whole story. Jesus said that the truth would set us free. And that's what Luke wanted for Theopolis and for all who would read this letter, that he would know the truth so that he may become a follower of Christ and not just an admirer of Christ. There's a difference, right? There are a lot of people in our country who would admire Christ as a man, but they've never bowed their knee to his lordship. Well, let's look at the letter itself, the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at its theme. As I said earlier, Luke gives particular attention to, to the humanity of Jesus, what he said, what he did, how he felt, how he interacted with with other men. Now Luke, listen closely, never denies Jesus is God, but we know that Orthodox Christian theology affirms both the divinity, the fact that Jesus is God, and the fact that he was man, right? Right? the earliest confessions of the church affirm Jesus was altogether God and altogether man. Now, we can't compute that in our mind, how anything could be all of one and all of something else, but this is what the Bible teaches. This is what our church teaches. This is what the Bible teaches, and it's true. Well, let's look at how he puts the book together. He begins, as I said, with this four-verse prologue. And that was uh, something that all great Greek uh, writers of literature did. They had a very formal prologue. And so from the prologue then he moves surprisingly not into the life of Jesus but to the life of the forerunner of Jesus, his cousin, John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he's the greatest ever born of woman. And then he moves in chapter 2, and most of us know that chapter 2 is the Christmas story, Right? And just so happens on Christmas Day, falls on a Sunday this year, that will be in chapter 2. And then we find everything we know of the childhood of Jesus here in the first portion of Luke. Now there are a lot of uh, apocryphal books out there that, that try to tell us what happened when Jesus was a boy. But all we know for sure found here in the book of Luke. In fact, the last thing we know of Jesus' childhood was when he was 12 years old. His parents took him to Jerusalem with a large party of companions and on their way home they realized Jesus wasn't in the traveling caravan. His parents panicked. They retreated back to Jerusalem only to find Jesus teaching there with the elders. And yet the Bible says from that point on and from the points before he submitted, he voluntarily ranked himself under the authority of his parents. That's all we know about the childhood of Jesus because chapter 3 then picks up with John the Baptist preaching repentance in the wilderness and Jesus comes out to be baptized by John and from there he went out to be tempted of Satan in the wilderness and once he returned he began his public ministry by choosing his disciples and Luke records many of his miracles and specifically his parables. Those earthly stories with heavenly meaning. And then He tells us of the events on the Mount of Transfiguration, the resistance of the Pharisees, their hatred for the Lord Jesus, Christ's institution of the Lord's Supper, his subsequent arrest, his trials, his brutal crucifixion, his glorious resurrection, and his awe-inspiring ascension back into heaven. Luke writes more of the New Testament than any other author. Does that amaze you? It did me when I, when I read that a couple of weeks ago. I had forgotten that if, if I had known it. We tend to think that Paul wrote more, he wrote more books but not more words. You put together the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts, and if we believe our dear friend Dr. Allen down at the seminary, the book of Hebrews, if he wrote all those three books, then he wrote a third of the New Testament. I don't believe he wrote Hebrews, but Dr. Allen does, and you're welcome to believe that. But but he did write a good portion of the Scripture nonetheless. The longest of the four Gospels. So, needless to say, I'm fired up. I'm excited about beginning this journey. We're going to take this long Gospel, 15 weeks at a time, then we'll take a break and have a doctrinal series along the way. It's going to take us about three years, if the Lord gives us that much time, and I hope you will bring your friends, especially your lost friends. Because Luke is a gospel. The word gospel means good news. And the good news is this. Jesus died for sinners. And every week Luke is going to unfold the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus calls men to repentance. And Jesus saves the lost. Hope you'll commit to be here. Now I'm going to tell you how to vote. Vote this way as a Christian. Vote confidently. Knowing that no matter who's elected Tuesday, Wednesday morning, Jesus is going to be on his throne. I think one of the most disappointing things about this election cycle is how I've seen it divide Christians. I have emails right now on my computer from pastor friends of mine, each voting differently, who said if I don't vote like they do, I'm in sin. And I know you've probably gotten those emails too. I think both of them are wrong, incidentally. Vote your conscience. Pray and ask for wisdom and then vote. And then go home and sleep well. Be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God which passes human comprehension We'll stand guard over your hearts through Christ Jesus. Vote confidently, knowing the Lord is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, we are grateful that uh, you raise up governments and you tear them down. Father, we are grateful that we have um, the ability to vote. We have the freedom to participate in the democratic form of government. And yet lord we do not trust in chariots and horses we trust in jesus we thank you that you used a man like luke to meticulously write down the things that jesus said and did and accomplished and father not only did this man theopolis benefit from it countless millions have been led to faith through it through the ages and if jesus tarries his second coming millions more so lord we pray you would use our time together in the Gospel of Luke to encourage the saints, but also to save the lost. We pray, Father, that many in this community would be drawn to your word and to repentance. Lord, I pray for revival. I pray for awakening in this land. Lord, I pray for mercy, not justice. Lord, please withhold the judgment that we justly deserve. And please give us mercy Delay your wrath, Father, we pray a little longer. Father, we do pray for this moment. If there's even one in this room who does not know Jesus in the free pardon of sin, we pray that today they would bow their knee to his Lordship, confess their sinfulness, turn from it, Father, flee to Jesus, knowing that all who call upon him will be saved. We pray all these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.